Do you ever struggle with remembering details from your travels? Then I've got something special for you. How would you like a better way to keep track of all the things you see and experience in Scotland? A way to keep those special memories and all the details fresh for years to come. My new Scotland travel journal might just be what you need. It includes daily journaling prompts to help you start writing about your day, lots of space for doodling and notes, prompts to reflect on your trip overall, and suggestions for things to do that help you make more meaningful connections with Scotland. There's also inspiration for your travel bucket list, a map to draw your route, space to keep track of your travel details, and some Gaelic and Scottish phrases to try while you're here. All you have to do is print out the journal, fold the pages in half and start writing. The Scotland Travel Journal is the perfect companion for your upcoming trip to Scotland. Find it in the Watch Me See online shop or visit the link in the show notes. And now, let's get on with the show. Hello there, and welcome to Wild for Scotland, a podcast full of inspiring stories from Scotland. I'm your host, Cathy Kamleitner. Wild for Scotland helps you connect with Scotland and dream about future adventures. I'll tell you immersive stories to whisk you away, share some of my top tips for your own Scotland trip, and introduce you to inspiring locals and their stories. So lean back and enjoy. Let's travel to Scotland. Today we are heading back to the Isle of Canna to speak with Ishbel McKinnon. She's a director of the Isle of Canna Community Development Trust and her family has been calling the island their home for generations. Ishbel takes care of the community shop, is involved with the island's renewable energy projects and runs Canna Campsite, which is where I stayed during this trip. As you can see, when you live in such a small community, you don't just have one job. If you haven't listened to last week's story episode of Stacks and Stones yet, pause now, listen to this story and then return to my conversation with Ishbel. It really sets the scene for our chat about this unique island. But let's get back to Ishbel. If you've listened to the first season of Wild for Scotland, you already know that I'm fascinated by the Scottish Isles. There's something about taking a boat to a tiny speck of land surrounded by the ocean. You find unique landscapes, unique communities, and often a couple of unexpected surprises. The Isle of Canna is no different. But as someone who loves telling stories, I sometimes catch myself making up narratives about a place before I ever set foot on it. Before my trip to Canna, I had an idea of the island, formed by books and articles I had read about it, and images I'd seen. But of course, reality is more complex than that, and it was important to me to keep an open mind, let the stories come to me. And that's also how I approached my conversation with Ishbel. I wanted to know what it's really like to live on the Isle of Canna, what it takes to be a part of such a small community, and how the Community Development Trust envisions the future of the island. I really hope you enjoy our conversation. Let's welcome Ishbel McKinnon. 
So I am sitting here with Ishbel McKinnon on the Isle of Cana. Ishbel, do you want to start by introducing yourself? Yeah, so I'm Ishbel McKinnon. I live on the Isle of Cana and my family is originally from the Isle of Cana. I run the campsite, so I run kind of campsite, kind of bunkhouse, and I'm obviously part of the Isle of Cana Community Development Trust, so I'm a director with that, and mostly my role there is helping to run kind of community shop and um, helping also with Creole, our renewable energy project. And have you always lived on Cana? No. I obviously was born and brought up here and then went away to work in different places and I've been back on Canada since 2016. Mm -hmm. And did you go and live on other islands or was your life off the island quite different than here? Well, I went to London, worked there and then I was in South Africa for a little while. Then I lived on in a small village on the west coast called Glenuig and then I went to London for 11 years and then that's where I was before I came back to Canada. Now, that's quite a big difference to the Isle of Canada going to London, wasn't it? What was it like to come back? Um, just fine. <laughs> no, it's absolutely no problem. Um, when I was in London, also, I did quite a lot of work in and out of Africa. So I worked in Ghana and Uganda. And I can see a lot of similarities between that because... Um, you know, maybe uh, logistics are a bit challenging, which is something that's um, relevant to the West Coast of Scotland as well. And have you ever found that living on such a small island, it was difficult to adapt in bigger places with more people? Or did you find that quite easy? Absolutely not, because I think that is that is really key about the islands, that we're so used to meeting other people because Canada is so busy with people coming in yachts and... Um, people stopping over on different boats on their way to, to um, other islands or, or places. And so we're used to interacting with lots of different people. So it's, it was absolutely easy for me to be adaptable in another place. How many people visit Canada in a year? Do you know? Roughly? Mm, well, there, no, there's a few sort of different uh, variations on that number. I think um, NTS are trying to sort of collate some figures but on average we have a, we have a lot of yachts so we would say on average um through the height of the summer there's at least 14 yachts every night and that can go up as, as near to near to 30 yachts in the night so we have that and uh, num- visitor numbers are, are growing as well because obviously we now have the campsite and there's another self-catering cottages and things like that so we don't have any hard and fast numbers mm. That's quite a lot of people who come through here. Yeah, quite a lot. Yeah, and and it's, but it's nice to see the same people come back again and again, so that we you know we can see the same yachts coming in every year, and we get to know the people, and so it's quite nice. You can say, "Well, you're back this year again." So, so what do you think brings people back? Some main things that people say about Canada is uh, it's very friendly, it's very welcoming, it's very peaceful. People say it has a very so a very uh, good feeling about it, and obviously on top of that, we've got a wide range of wildlife and seabirds and beautiful scenery and archaeology and geology. You know, so it's quite a small island, but we've got quite a lot packed into it, which means that it's actually quite accessible to everybody. Yeah, I mean, full disclosure, I have already decided I will come back. (laughs) You know, I've been here for two nights now and I'm here for three in total. And I know that's not enough near to see 
even a part of the island, you know, and, and there's places that I've walked to that I want to I walk back to. And I keep seeing on my walks different parts of the island that I think, oh, I need to go there. Oh, I, I want to really go there. And I think that's true, what you're saying is that, and a lot of people come and they think, oh, it's just a small island and it can come for like two nights. And then they're going, oh, actually, we didn't realise there's so much to see and we'll need to come back. So that's one thing. For sustainable tourism, in a way, we, we kind of ask people or encourage people to come and stay longer. But in order for them to have the best holiday and to see more of the island and really engage with it, then, you know, we we would advise people to come longer anyway. Um, and, and somebody did say that. She said, well, we came, I think they came for two weeks. And she said the first week we went out and we did everything. And then the next week we did it again. But the island just kept revealing more to us. Mm. And then they, they just got that deeper, deeper sense of it. And obviously then gets to know the community and, you know, they've been around for two weeks, so everybody gets to know them. Yeah, that's really Which lovely. people really appreciate that and it's nice. Yeah. And so just for the sake of listeners who haven't been here, the Isle of Cana is what it looks like on the map, quite remote. It's out west, um, one of the small isles south of Skye, and it's the westernmost of those islands, kind of, West of here is just the Outer Hebrides and then it's it's the Atlantic Ocean. Um, and there's only 16 people living on the island, is that correct? Might be 18 now. Might be 18 now. Oh, wow, that's cool. So it's quite a small community. And I wonder at the same time, and we've had this conversation on the drive here, it's not that remote when you live here because it's your normal life and it's what you're used to and you have your work here and it's not peace and quiet it's there's far there's a working farm here there's gardeners there's people fixing roofs and and all these things so it's it's a very lively place and I guess more lively than I had expected and I fall, fell into that trap of romanticizing the island a little bit as well I think that's um true that um people expect it to be very quiet and uh, us to be living this laid-back life but actually we're all really really active because it takes quite a lot to run an island and then um, so this morning you know I've been out gathering sheep and then organizing for the stuff to happen at the campsite today and you know then um, I've been in the shop because there's just order coming in for the shop later on so so there's all those different roles that people on the island are playing so it is really busy yeah so um, and I think People are surprised because they do come here and expect it to be quiet and then it's actually really, really busy and very lively. Can I ask what made you decide to come back? So I was working in London and I'd finished one job and um, in the May of 2015 and then I came home for that summer. So I was sort of starting to think about, well, how could I meld my London life and my uh, working in Africa life and obviously Canada because obviously I wanted it all. <laughs> um, and then in the September of that year, my mum had a stroke. So I just said, well, I'll come home and uh, make sure that our care package and everything is in place. And I saw that there was that economic opportunity of running a campsite because there was an area that was designated as a campsite, but it was just very informal. So um, there was an opportunity to make that formal business. 
Mm. And because I've worked in developing small businesses anyway, that's my background. So it was easy for me to see that that was an opportunity and to Mm. build that business. Yeah. And I get the sense that, especially with smaller islands, a lot of different islands that I've visited and speaking to people who've maybe moved away and then back again, that's what they usually say, both in Scotland and abroad, is that there's a lot of opportunities. And if you can just see them and you can just spot them, and you go in with the right idea, you can actually create a really good business for yourself. Absolutely. And if I always say, well, I wish I had a crack team around me because there's just so much opportunity here and there's just so much that you can do. Um, yeah, and I'd like to do them all, but I can't. So there is lots of opportunity for other people. So what do you think does it require to move to a small island community like the Isle of Kana? I would say you have to be uh, proactive, you have to be uh, solution focused <laughs> and you need you need to know who you are mm-hmm. because then, so if you're grounded and you know who you are, then you're able to um, deal with the challenges. So like the ge- logistics of getting anything done, you know, that is a real challenge for people and uh, you need to be able to to ride out situations where, yeah, maybe the boat doesn't come for a week. And that doesn't happen that often. But for us, that's that's just normal. Mm. And uh, it wouldn't bother us. So, um, and obviously, you don't have anonymity. That's the thing. Is So everybody knows who you are and everybody pretty much knows what you're doing. And that's just, that's just the crack, you know. Um, yeah. But apart from that, it's fine. You just, yeah, positive people and who can see opportunities and rub along with other people and and not get challenged too easily. <laughs> um, not much to ask. <laughs> well, it's very, it sounds very, very different. And particularly, I guess, the anonymity of it sounds so different to what my current life in Glasgow is like because we've bought a house, we live in a neighbourhood that is very residential and we do know some of our neighbours, but it isn't, a community in the same sense that I've maybe experienced back home where the building where I grew up in that my where my parents have a flat they knew all the neighbors and we hung out together and all the kids hung out together and you know everyone and you're almost like one big family very harmonious probably as a child more harmonious than it really was whereas now my life is is very much the opposite of that and it sounds like this would maybe be more like that that even though it's not always harmonious, you are one big community because you depend on each other to an yes. extent, don't you? So if something happens, then everybody will be there to help you sort it out. Mm. You know, so that's, you know, everybody just kind of pitches up. So um, that's that's a really great thing to have. Yeah. So we've talked a bit about the downsides, um, but what are some of the benefits, the, the advantages of living on such a small place? For me, it's great. I have the freedom to uh, run my business and do it really well. And um, I suppose it, it is a small community, but we work well together. And for me, it's it's a real advantage to be here. I've got something I can work with. There's a community. We're really driving ahead. We're really trying to do things. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously, you can see that we've been really successful in the shop and the moorings and our renewable energy. So it's really... Um, it's inspiring to be part of that. And it's inspiring to be part of that through the small isles because we can share with the other islands and we can see what they're doing and we can work together on projects. So that's really great. And obviously you see that it's a beautiful, fertile island. So 
Um, I'm able to develop another business to do with um, growing fruits for for produce and, and making jam and chutneys and things like that. So, so there's just lots of opportunity. Amazing. Because you mentioned the other islands, I'm quite keen to talk about the current ownership model here on the Isle of Canna and how that differs. Because each of those small isles is different in the way it's run or managed or owned at the moment, isn't it? Muckus has a landowner. Yes, so they're privately owned. Uh, Egg is community owned. Rum is part community owned and part um, nature scot. Mm -hmm. So that's a nature reserve. And then Canna is owned by the National Trust for Scotland, apart from there's one of the crofters owns their own land and I'm in the process of buying my own croft as well. So um, so there's, I think there's nine crofts on the island. Um, but anyway, it's all owned by National Trust for Scotland, mm. apart from that. But then a lot of it is managed, or a lot of the development is managed by the development trust. Or how does that connection or how does that relationship work? Um, well, what we have now is the Canna Partnership. So that's a partnership between the Isle of Canna community through the Isle of Canna Community Development Trust and the National Trust for Scotland. So that is started in, might have started in something like November last year. So it's still in its early stages. Um, so we're just trying to pull together the resources of both organisations and the knowledge of both organisations to try and take forward development on the island that suits both our needs. So obviously National Trust for Scotland has a certain remit as a conservation charity. And then obviously we have our remit as a community yeah, to make the island sustainable. So what is really interesting about that partnership model, of course, is as an outsider, you don't really know how these things work and what goes into owning an island and running an island and managing the community and providing for the community to an extent as well, I guess. And I guess one of the things that, or what some of the things you've been seeing about locals starting their own businesses and being able to develop in that direction is a really great, way to contribute to that partnership isn't it? it it gives people even though they might not own their own land a way to do their own thing and live on the island and contribute to the to the community and in partnership with the trust take care of the island as well yeah i think because people own businesses and um they're they're in control of their own lives then they yeah they, they have they have a sense of ownership of the island and a sense of um commitment to, to make it work for everybody and to develop, but also to 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 ensure that it develops in the way that we want it. Mm. So while a few of us run tourism businesses, we're very aware of that we don't want to overdevelop the tourism on the island because this is our home and we need to have a sort of level of tourism that suits us, that doesn't... So we're very happy for people to come and share and enjoy our island with us because, you know, we love our island and we understand why so many other people would love our island. But it needs to be at a level that um, doesn't impinge on our our lives um, on the island because that's why we enjoy the island. That's that's why we love it. So that that's a very clear thing. And that's something that we um, share with the rest of the small islands. And uh, we've brought together a group called Visit Small Isles. So that's one person from each island 
and we're trying to uh, make sure that tourism for the small islands is sustainable and it's of benefit to the islands, but it doesn't, that, that, that we retain the great things about the small islands, but we invite people to come and visit our islands and um, share them and contribute because people, visitors are very happy to contribute and that might be economic, but it could also be by coming to be volunteers, to share in their skills, to share in their expertise. So it's, it's not all just about pure economics. Mm. And, and and making friendships. And then sometimes people will come and be a volunteer on the islands and, and then actually decide that they want to move to the islands and they want to live here. So, I mean, and that certainly has happened. Yeah. And so what are some of the things that people can do while they're on Kana? What are some of your favourite places that you like to share with people when they're here on the island? Well, so Kana is obviously great for walking, but walking to see wildlife, uh, walking to see um, the geology and uh, to look at the archaeology of the island, those those are the great things. But yes, there's there's just masses of wildlife and wildflowers and everything. So um, some of the best walks, I would say, um, to go to Garrisdale, which is pos- it's probably quite a bit of a walk, but um, it's, it's really worth it. So if you go... You walk to the end of the road at Tarbert and then you go out along the west, northwest coast. And then you can, there is a path down, you can drop down into the old settlement that's at Garrisdale. Mm. And there's a beautiful little sandy beach there. And and the, the seal, that's where the seals have their pups as well. So that's, you know, it's, it's a great time to come later in the year mm-hmm. to see that. But you can drop down into Garrisdale and it's just a really nice, lovely place. And you're looking right out to the Outer Hebrides as well and up to the sort of northern end of Skye. And you can see where people live there. Yeah, so it's really it's a really great place to go. And then obviously you you can go out to the very west end of the island and see out to Heishker and straight then down to Ardemarkham Point. So you can... You can be on Canada and see everything that it has, but you can look out onto the rest of the world and the rest of the the Western Isles. Yeah, in many ways it's very centrally located and not remote at all because it is kind of halfway in between the mainland and the outer isles and you see the Western Isles and you see all these other places. And I, I, I assume you can see Col on a clear Col day. and Tyree. Yeah, I can see them last night, yeah. actually. Yeah. Um, and I suppose... Uh, probably in the past, there was a lot more connection between here and the Outer Hebrides. So, um, but not not so much now. But I think people also think that Canada's remote because you can't see it from the mainland because it's tucked in behind the rest of the small islands. So unless you're right down at Ardmurkin or um, up on Sky, you know, you you can't see it. So I think people think, oh, it's really really remote. Mm-hmm. And maybe Calmac thinks that sometimes too. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we are now going to hear a little clip from one of my walks on the island here. I walked out to Sandy to see some of the puffins that nest there on the sea stacks and the cliffs. And I'll take you with me on a little taste of that walk. And now I'm sitting here on the edge of Sandy, that second island that is connected to Kana by a bridge. And I followed the little trail and the signs that said, well, they didn't read anything. They had little pictures on them of birds that are 
nesting here on the island. There are many birds that nest here on Sandy and also on Canna. Arctic skewers, I can see many of those flying around in the sky. They're also called bonksies here in, on the west coast of Scotland. I can see many types of seagulls and shags and guillemots. I think they're guillemots, the little black and white ones, nesting on the cliffs of the rocks. But I can also see two sea stacks. One smaller, one really big sea stack, covered in yellow lichen, <laughs> made from basalt rocks. You can almost see the columns, although they're not as clear as those on Staffa. And at the top there's a layer of soil and there's grass, it's green. And there they are, all the little birds gathering in their colony. Of course I'm talking about puffins. As I walked up to the edge of the cliff, they all started flying up, moving in a cloud of birds. Like I've only seen starlings do before. And they flew in an itch shape towards the cliffs, towards me, away around the stack and back. And now most of them have settled on the rocks. But some of them are still flying about and they do tend to come towards me. I can see even more of them in the ocean, sitting on the waves and probably fishing. Some of the birds that fly past me have beaks, their beaks full with silver, little silver fish. And they fly really close. It's very hard to capture because they're so fast and so small and approaching from below the cliff out of nowhere. And even across on the stack where they're sitting and, and resting, it's hard to really capture them without a zoom lens, which is now firmly on my... There was just a puffin that flew really close to me. I thought it would land, but it didn't. Really difficult to capture the puffins without a zoom lens, which is now firmly on my Christmas wish list. And a bit of gear that I will definitely bring on my next trip to Canna. And there will definitely be a next trip to the island. Not just to see the birds, but also to spend more time with the locals, getting to know people, getting to know the island, walking around it. It's a small island, there's not much to do as such, but it is an island that I think I would love to see more of and love to spend more time in. The weather has completely surprised me. It was very, very rough all day and now it's just opened up. I can still see the clouds on the Coolins and Rum, but I can also see the beautiful cliffs of Rum and sky up in the other direction in the distance. Also the Coolins there are covered in clouds. And so are the, the very top of Kana as well actually, behind me. But the sun is out and there's blue sky and the puffins are flying around me in clouds of stuff, starling-like clouds. And I'm just having the best time watching them, even though I can't capture it on camera. It's in my head and I'm so glad I made the decision to come here, even though I'll probably get back really late and I'll probably be very hungry by the time I get back. It's worth all that just to see the puffins. 
Now let's take a quick detour and hear a story about our sponsors. Hello, Wild for Scotland listeners. My name is Fran Tarowskis and you know me as the co-producer of Wild for Scotland. But I'm here to tell you about another podcast in the Tremula network. On the Outside is for anyone that spends their time outdoors in the UK and wants to engage in the wider outdoor community. Each episode, you'll hear a diverse range of enthusiasts and experts talking about the news stories that matter to them. We look at everything from specific sports news to the social issues and events that shape the way we experience the outdoors. In previous episodes, we've talked about southern water dumping sewage into our seas, a racist stunt on Ben Nevis, and whether climbing gyms should ban topless climbing. So if you want to hear conversations and opinions on what's happening outside, search for On The Outside in your podcast app or head to ontheoutsidepodcast.co.uk. So on my walk to Sandy, I could obviously not miss the renewable energy scheme, the windmills that are out on the island. And I've seen comparable schemes that are owned or run by communities on other islands on South Hughes, for example. And I just wanted to ask you about, you know, what led to that and what's the what does it mean for the island to be a bit more reliable on renewable energies and less dependent on um, fossil fuels and, and kind of other means of, of producing energy. Yeah, so our yes, we have our renewable so that's owned by the community. So it's called Creole, so kind of renewable energy and electrification limited. And um, so that's the six wind turbines and then we have array an array of solar panels. So that's that. And then there is a diesel generator there if if we need it. You know, each of the small aisles, they're all run on sustainable energy. So it's 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 part of the whole drive to um, make the islands more sustainable. So it's been, I mean, what led to that is that I think it's been a very, very long conversation. So it's probably been about 30 years in the sort of talking about it and trying to make it happen. And eventually it did happen in 2018. And we have this system now in place and owned by the community. So it means that we... Well, we generate income, but we're, it means that um, our environmental impact is is better because we're not burning diesel 24-7. Um, and it's it's great because we, you know, we have our own maintenance teams and we run it and there's a great sense of ownership and a great sense of pride in it that we, we have that system. But, I mean, we are actually looking now at what we need to do to in- increase capacity because mm. we have all lots of new developments coming on board. So we're going to be building three community-owned houses. So we need to make sure that there's enough electricity for that. Yeah, so. Where are those houses going to be built? So there's going to be one built beside my house in the Changehouse Park. Um, so that's just near the sort of phone box that, around that area. And then there's two going to be further up the road past the farm. Mm-hmm. So there's that little sort of cluster of houses yeah. there. So they're going to fit two in there. Oh, cool. Yeah, so that's going to be great. Yeah. And do you already know people who are going to live there? Or is it going to be 
are you going to call for families to move in again or people to move in to apply again like in in the previous years or well i think how is that, that is going to go it's probably going to be a mix so there might be people who are in existing houses on the island that might want to move to one of the new houses but there might be people who want to move to the island um, and those people who want to move to the island might be people who are connected to Kana and who are looking for an opportunity to come back or they might be absolutely brand new people. Mm. I've always wanted to move to an island. <laughs> I was having this conversation with um, Aileen yesterday about what someone needs to bring with them to move to an island and you know we had a few ideas floating about so I thought I would ask you as well what does it what is a community looking for in someone who's moving out here? Well, skills would be useful, um, but more than skills, it's it's people's attitude that um, that they're able to muck in, um, but they're able to be self. People need to be self-contained. People need to know who they are. Um, but if people have skills and they're willing to share those, then that's obviously super helpful. Mm, of course. <laughs> um, so yes, somebody who's prepared to be part of the community and just help help us because it's it's about capacity and we only have enough capacity to be able to do a certain amount of things. Yeah. And so what are some of those things? What are some of the future plans of the community? What Where do you want to see the island go? What are some of the projects you're working on? Well, we we do have we do have a Isle of Community Development Trust development plan, and part of that is growing the population. So we have a sort of um, you know what's what sort of seen locally maybe as a sort of tipping point of around about twenty eight thirty people, mm-hmm. which can help you know because at the moment if one person leaves, it, you know it's a huge impact. But if there's thirty people and one person leaves, it's 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 a little bit less of a whole left. And um, so we're building three community houses. We're building a visitor hub to provide services for all the yachts people that come in and other visitors, wild campers, etc. And we are looking to develop Corrigan Barn, mm-hmm. which is the big beside the big volcanic beach there. So we're in. We're doing that. So we have a development manager, Andrew, who's been working on the housing and and all our other projects. We're um, looking at developing a, a sort of wedding market because, mm-hmm. well, we've already had one wedding this year and we're just about to have another one. But it's a beautiful venue for a wedding, a small wedding mm-hmm. that you basically you can take over the island for your wedding. Um, and um, the root, we've got the little root church up there mm-hmm. and we've also got um, the little... St. Columbus Church up the road as well. So and lots of beaches and things to have your photographs taken on. So those are some of the projects that we're trying to take forward. And we've also got another, we've got a lot of decarbonisation work going on as well. So looking at our energy uses, looking at how we can make our energy use more efficient. So looking at um, things like, like water, do we have enough water? Or how do we manage our water, mm. which is probably more important than the amount. So it's it's looking at our resources and look at how we're managing them as well. Mm. Water is is that big issue here on the island? I know there's not a lot of fresh water available, is, or is that wrong? 
yeah, there actually probably is quite a lot of water available because we've got about four, I think there's at least four springs feeding into our system. And I think that they might just have last year brought on another couple of springs. So it's not so much about the amount of water, it's about storage and management. Mm. So I think um, managing that resource and making people very aware of their water use as mm. well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But yes, usually every year there is a period where we, you know, it, it's, it gets a little bit dicey and we have to, um, yeah, not water our gardens type of thing. <laughs> Which is something I guess many people, especially maybe listeners from abroad, wouldn't think about because doesn't it rain all the time? <laughs> yeah, apparently it rains all the time in Scotland. But, you know, we are in Scotland, but we are on the, we are on the Gulf Stream. So, you know, we have... we quite often have different weather mm. than other places. So, um, yeah. Absolutely. And it can be really mild here. So we don't, people have that sort of picture of Scotland about snow. So we, we might get snow, but it doesn't really lie. Uh, we might get frost, but it's, you know, it's it's one day or two days. It's, yeah. it's nothing. And it's only like a light frost. It's not. I think people even from the mainland think that, oh, you must get really wild weather out here and it must be crazy and it must be really hard. And mm. I say, well, no, because some places on the mainland, you know, you get really, really cold weather, you get a lot of snow, you might be you might be stuck up a glen somewhere. Mm. And we just don't have that. Yeah. And I guess the way the village of the main settlements are positioned as well, they're sheltered from a lot of directions with where they are on the island. And then you know, the big rain clouds, they'll, they'll be carried over the island all the way to the to the mainland and break in the mountains. Yeah, usually, thankfully, from that sort of prevailing westerly wind, that, that weather just moves through quite fast. Yeah. So that's that's quite helpful. <laughs> <laughs> I was surprised yesterday with how warm the wind was, because even though it was very windy, it was, it was not cold. I really no. enjoyed that. Yeah, it's quite nice like that. Mm. I know there has been a lot of attempts or or a lot of approaches or, or different ways to try and develop the community on the island and, and grow the community on the island and I know there have, have been setbacks and things didn't work out and I'm just wondering what are some of the issues that you're facing with that and what do you think needs to change for that to be more successful in the future? Well I suppose now hope I think people because it, we, in the past, I suppose, people were trying to, to take initiatives to increase the population. But, yeah, that's quite a challenging thing to do. So I think people have learned from that experience. So maybe going forward, um, people maybe are a bit more, we're, as a community, we're more equipped to do that. Um, so that's on, on sort of on our side of it. So being more equipped and, and kind of understanding what we're offering and what we're trying to do. And then also for people who want to come here, it's about making sure that their expectations, what their expectations are and what their preparations are to um, to come to an island like Canada. Hmm. I think I think that's that's is to, to try and match those two things up really. Um, so to be uh, really kind of realistic to people about um, obviously the advantage of moving to Canada, but also some of the just 
It's not disadvantages. Mm. It's just the realities. The realities. Yeah. yeah. So people know what they're coming to uh, because there is that romanticism about islands and about, oh, you know, it's a little remote place and I can go there and hide. Well, you, can, you can't because, you know, um, you're living in round the bay and everybody knows what you're doing. So, you, you know, it's, it's in some ways people, I find that exposure a little bit challenging. Mm. So um, yeah, so there is the romanticism about this it, this nice easy lifestyle and where you know, and and there are so many wonderful things about lifestyle on Canada, but it is quite hard work and it is quite busy, and um, there's probably quite a lot of expectation put on somebody that you're going to muck in mm. and you're going to get on with things and you're going to work quite hard and. And work towards, you know, buy into what we want Canada to be. Mm. I think that's it. We, you know, we expect. I suppose that I'm from the island, so I have a kind of maybe I have quite a clear picture of Canada. And I always think, well, whatever you do, is it good for Canada? Mm. And if everybody keeps that in their head, is this good for Canada? Then that's okay, and, and we can really sort of take the island forward. Yeah, I guess it's almost like. A way of, of collective living rather than a very individual lifestyles that I'm certainly used to and, and sometimes don't like. Yeah. Um, and I guess that is that ha- our society has kind of moved towards this whole individualistic way of life and everybody's for themselves and you just do what you think is best for you or what you want to do or how you can find your own dreams. But then thinking about the collective community and the best for the island, that's quite different. Yeah, it's, it's a kind of and um, there's sort of two parts of it. It's very collective, but um, sometimes people keep themselves quite separate as well because you can't be in each other's pockets all the time because mm. then it just becomes too intense. Yeah. So we mix, but we we mix, but we don't mix. Mm. So um, you I need think, to be like, able to you keep need, your yeah, own. Yeah, you need to keep you need to keep some individuality and keep yeah. some sort of separation, like in a but good then, relationship. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Keep your independence, but muck in when it's needed yeah and so how does the relationship between the four islands work particularly you you mentioned visit small isles and kind of coming together to promote sustainable tourism to the region and to the different islands how does that work how do you come together i suppose as a family we've probably got quite long-term relationships with people on other islands but it's 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 great you know because the other islands are always really helpful. So when we were doing the renewable energy project and then obviously muck and egg and rum already had their projects mm-hmm. in place. So we were just able to phone them up at any time and say, well, how did you get on with this? And how did this work for you? And um, also people who to work with, they were able to recommend project managers and, and companies that they'd worked with. So that, you know, so people in the swallows are always really, really helpful and encouraging to each other in community development projects. So that is that is great. And it's really inspiring as well um, just to go and, and meet with the other communities and see what they're doing. Mm. And one of the things our development manager is doing is developing like a small isles project pipeline so that we can come together and develop. Instead of every island doing housing, can we, can we just do a small isles housing project? Mm. And then we're looking at a small isles housing management company 
instead of each island having uh, having community housing and then running it individually mm-hmm. can we do it all together and then maybe we can build also build skills within the communities mm-hmm. such as joiners or gas engineers that type of thing and looking at tourism is also another way for us to come together and so true visit small isles have a sustainable tourism strategy for the small isles because a lot of people don't even know where the small isles is because it's like, oh, what's Canna? Is it in the Inner Hebrides? Or, you know, is it part of the Outer Hebrides? And it's mm-hmm. like, well, no, we're the small isles. So it's trying to put the small isles on the map yeah. and uh, build a kind of visit small isles, a bit perhaps like um, visit pharaohs type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, because we're all different and we're all unique, uh, but we, we share communities and we share... Uh, a lot of similarities as well. So we want to build on that strength together and invite people to come be come to the small isles, come and visit the small isles, visit more than one small mm-hmm. isle because they are they are different, but contribute to it. So you know, um Egg's got a volunteer program. Uh, we want to develop a volunteer program as well and look at people coming and staying for a bit longer mm. so I think that was a, that's a really where I like Canada to get is that people can come for lots of different lengths of time mm. so maybe you can come for a week but maybe you could come for three months mm. or maybe you could come for six months that hasn't has happened in the past though you know just once or twice and that has really been a benefit to the island mm. but obviously accommodation on Canada is is the issue so, yeah, so that's how we work together as a small isles, trying to do projects together, um, trying to get the CalMAC service that we need <laughs> and um, to encourage each other as well. Mm. It's, really, it's really key. And I think in that way, it, you probably get a lot of strength out of being together and knowing that there's other islands that are in it for the same reasons and with the same vision and you're not the only ones, you're not alone fighting for these things like I can imagine standing up to to a big company like Calnock might be quite intimidating if you're on your own but it might be a bit easier if there's a group of you and yes. a few more voices yes and um, maybe other organisations like the Small Isles Federation that type of thing to try and get them on board but it is very important that the Small Isles come together and we have a voice mm. and we make our voice heard because we're not we're not a big island group like the Orkneys, the Shetlands, and the Western Isles. And the Highland Council has got a lot of islands, but we're not sky. We're not big like mm. that. So uh, we need to make sure that our voice is heard. Mm. Yeah, it's very very important. One of the things I like, and I actually went before I came here. So I've been planning this trip for years, like I told you, and I actually found the post-it note that had from years ago that had all this, the ferry schedules on them thinking about in what way I can come and visit Canna, but also I've been to Rum twice, maybe also visit Egg this time or Muck. And it didn't happen uh, in the end. I didn't have enough time to hop around. But it is actually one of the few places in Scotland where it is fairly easy to hop from one island to the other because it's one ferry that services all the small isles and it will have stops along the way. Not always all four, but it kind of does these rounds it might not always be as easy if you're on a time limit, but if you have a bit of time, 
but actually you can hop from one island to the other. Yeah, but we would say um, we say we've we've lost some of that interconnectivity that we used to have hmm. because the sa- the Saturday ferries have been uh, altered, and that was that was a real big challenge for us this year. And we've ended up with a ferry service that we do not need and we do not want and doesn't suit us. And mm-hmm. um, so we're we're really sort of now preparing preparing to um, work with Calmac to make sure that, that we do not have this ferry service mm-hmm. next year because we've lost that interconnectivity. Mm. But it might be, maybe if, if you come from the mainland, you can go to one or two islands, but to go in between the islands mm. is really difficult mm. because, for example, Eggs just had its 25th anniversary and they invited us to go yeah. there on the Friday but we couldn't do that because if we wanted to go to Egg for the Friday, mm-hmm. we would have had to leave here on the Wednesday. Yeah. And we wouldn't have got back until the Saturday. Right. So that's, that's just not, not realistic. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. that's not realistic exactly. at all. Um, so it's quite hard. You know, thanks. thankfully we have the internet and we have our <laughs> own locally run internet as well, which is based on Egg, which is mm. amazing. Headnet. Thankfully, we, we, we work through, um, you know, Zoom meetings and things like that uh, because we, we can't always get together. Yeah. But we would be so, it would be so beneficial if we could. Yeah, we would absolutely. get so much more out of it. Yeah. Well, all the best with that. I, I really hope that that works out. Maybe that's why my old post-it note schedule didn't work out. Yeah. <laughs> but next time I visit, hopefully it will be back to a more suitable and more useful service yeah. to and, and maybe develop into an even better service um the other way we come together as the small isles is the small isles games which is run every year <laughs> and uh we challenge each other um there so it's um it's going to be an egg this year so mm-hmm. it goes to a different small isle every year yeah so that's uh that's always a fun way for us to get together and is it a day long or how long does it take? Yes, yeah, so it's a, it's a day long and then dance at night. Nice. Yeah, so it was, it was great. Um, last time we had it on Cana, it was great. Beautiful sunny day. It was fantastic and everybody came and, um, yeah, it was really good. And we had, a, had Kaylee at night. It was brilliant. Well, if people want to have a look at what that looks like or what that, that feels like, they can watch the Summer on Cana documentary on YouTube. Um, I watched that and I did see the footage from the the summer highland games and it looked like it was so much fun i had to laugh out loud at the adult sack hopping oh yeah, yeah. competition that was my favorite part and the lamb race i actually i've never been to highland games i don't know if to do that everywhere but the lamb race was my favorite <laughs> is there anything else you want to bring in come visit (laughs) obviously (laughs) come and visit can i yeah absolutely well thank you so much for taking the time what is a way that people can stay up to date with you and what you do on the island or the island itself where can they find you online and stay in touch stay you can stay in touch with the isle of canada because we're uh we're we're online so we have um isle of canada community facebook page we're on instagram we're on twitter and we have our own website as well which is the isle of canada.com super i'll pop all those links in the show notes um thank you so much for taking the time and speaking to me today sharing so much about your life and the island itself 
Um, I've definitely taken away some things to think about as well as some tips for my next visit to Cana. Um, some walks I need to check out. And yeah, everybody visit Cana, but do it in a sustainable way. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you so much to Ishbel McKinnon for taking the time to sit down with me and chat about life on the Isle of Canna. You can find out more about the island and the work of the Community Development Trust by visiting their website or finding them on social media. You can also connect with Ishbel and her business Canna Campsite on social media. I'll pop all those links in the show notes. If you feel inspired to plan a trip to the Isle of Canna, head to my Scotland travel blog watchmesee.com and find my detailed Canna travel guide for lots of tips and inspiration. And with this, I send you off to dream about island life on the Scottish Isles. Next week, we have a new story for you, and this time, we're staying firmly planted on the mainland, even though the ground we'll be walking on is still constantly shifting and changing. I bet you can't wait to find out where we're headed next. Thank you so much for listening to Wild for Scotland today. If you want to make sure you never miss an episode, hit subscribe and sign up for our weekly newsletter full of peeks behind the scenes, tips for further readings and occasional sneak peeks of what's to come. The link to sign up is in the show notes. Wild for Scotland is part of the Tremula Network, adventure and outdoor podcasts off the beaten path. The show is written and hosted by me, Kathy Kamleitner. Thanks to Fran Turowskis, who is the co-producer and editor and does the sound design. Podcast art is by Lizzie Vaughan Knight, the Tartan Trailburner, and all original music is composed by Bruce Wallace. Until next time, when we travel to a different place in Scotland. If you're still here, listening all the way to the very end, it means you've probably got your hands full. So let me take this opportunity to remind you that I don't just write immersive travel stories. I also plan unforgettable itineraries for Scotland, and it's never been easier to follow one of my routes. Head to watchmesee.com forward slash shop to browse my ready-made Scotland itineraries and turn your travel dreams into reality.